0: Hi, everyone. It's Damon Klotz, CultureAmp's work culture evangelist and host of the Culture First podcast. This Working Through It series of the Culture First podcast is brought to you by CultureAmp, the people and culture platform. Resilient companies prioritize their people and culture during uncertain times to maintain engagement, alignment, and a sense of connectedness throughout the organization. CultureAmp is proud to be helping thousands of organizations work through it during this time. I wanted to give a big shout out to our amazing global people science team and our customer teams who have been partnering with our customers by helping them get feedback from their employees during this time. We've built out templates and resources to help you listen to your employees in the form of our emergency response template. We're also helping you onboard remote employees, measure the well-being and remote readiness of your employees. And finally, helping you learn what's top of mind for your employees as you prepare to return to the workplace. Now, more than ever, culture comes first. Head to cultureamp.com to learn how you can support your teams and employees during this time. All right, let's get started.
1: My name is Dr. Omar Dawood. I am the Chief Medical Officer and Head of Sales for Calm. And I'm working through it by focusing on what's positive around us and focusing on what I can be certain of.
0: Culture first. 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 i I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Culture First podcast. This is is episode two from our special series called Working Through It, a collective seven-part journey through crisis. These episodes, they're part of a series of content that we've been curating here for our Culture First community. And you can see all of these resources at culturefirst.com workingthroughit. I got some feedback from one of our community members who praised the online magazine that we've built because of the depth of content, the variety of formats, and a focus on the user journey for each part. I know it sounds like I just wrote that myself, but I swear it came from a real community member. But if you're not gonna take my word for it, make sure you check it out yourself, culturefirst.com slash working through it. In part one, we are starting with today. And we're starting with today because we wanna focus on restoring our health and well being after a disruptive event. The first episode focused on the power of exercise and well being to help our brains and we also learn how to tell the difference between good anxiety and bad anxiety. On this episode, we're focusing on our mental health as we collectively navigate the unknown. Many of us are trapped at home, forced to grapple with the stress and anxiety from a confined space. In my opinion, there has never been a more relevant time to be prioritising our mental health. People are experiencing widespread and prolonged burnout, and they're looking for ways to build meaningful connections in this new environment. We have curated resources for you in the episode notes, but it's really important for me to remind you that if any of the content or story shared today are impacting your mental health or triggering for you in any way, to please reach out and ask for help. My guest today is Dr. Omar DeWood, the Chief Medical Officer and Head of Sales at CALM. We talked about the importance of checking in first at the human level. How do we make space for vulnerability at work? And what are the tactics for helping us navigate the unknown with resilience? If you're a long-time listener of this podcast, or maybe even a first-time listener, you might have come to know me as the Evangelist for Workplace Culture and why I believe it's the biggest lever that we have to create successful organisations where people can be human, feel alive, and do their best work. What you might not know I've been a mental health advocate for several years. Members of my family have experienced mental health conditions ranging from anxiety to severe depression and suicide attempts. As much as I wanted to be a support system for my family, I also wanted to try to help people deal with the stigma associated with seeking help. As a storyteller and a marketer, I sat there and I wondered what was stopping people from seeking the help that was available to them. what I, alongside with some fellow social entrepreneurs back in Australia, what we came to realise is that we didn't need to market the availability of resources and therapy. We, We needed to market that it was actually okay to seek help in the first place. So to start my conversation with Omar, I actually shared the work that I've done in the men's mental health space back in Australia and talked a little bit about the social enterprise that I founded. But to really start our conversation, I wanted to firstly check in with Omar to see how he's been handling his mental health during this time.
1: First of all, I appreciate you asking me and, and congratulations on the work you've done in the past. I think combating stigma is an ongoing effort uh, that needs more and more people that are behind it. So fascinating and and thanks for checking in. I think that that simple check-in and we'll probably touch on this later is is so critical that we do to, to everyone that we interact with uh, and that we pause before you know, anything that we embark on together with uh, others around us to really just check in. Um, I I think you know I am in a similar situation to every single person <laughs> that's listening to this podcast, which is you know all of us are sitting at home probably uh, and experiencing a really new situation, and that new situation is extremely stressful and it's anxious, and I definitely feel that in my day to it, day. It's a time to to really be able to exhibit vulnerability and and just admit that uh, and. I think by admitting it and acknowledging that it's definitely okay to do, and, and it's something that, that allows us to then take that next step to actually be able to seek resources to actually support us. So I really appreciate that you've done that yourself here for your listeners. I think to me that that's one of the most important steps.
0: So while we're on the subject of, of check-ins, is there a good question for leaders out there to be using right now when it comes to actually asking a check-in question that's specifically focused on the mental health of their teams?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I was thinking a lot about this. It's it's not so much to me starts with a question. It starts by how you're kind of framing the space um, as a leader. Oftentimes, as leaders, we feel like we have to hold up a face. We have to always be strong. And, And frankly, this is a great time to practice one of the best leadership skills you can have, which is vulnerability, to actually be able to first start off and actually tell the team how you're feeling. Um, and, and we often jump to telling, asking the team how they're feeling, but they actually aren't un, unsure how you're doing yourself. And so by the team actually seeing that, Hey, you also are feeling stressed and anxiety uh, from this. And, and maybe you're even a little scared from what's going on in the unknown, um, to then follow that up with, with questions, um, from the team, even general questions, just asking, you know, how was your day? Um, how are you sleeping these days? Uh, simple questions like that can be very, very meaningful, but you've now created the space because of your own vulnerability for people to actually answer those questions, which I think to me is extremely critical. And just one thing on that, before I start almost any meeting now, uh, which is all are, are all done by Zoom, if it's a 30 minute meeting, I encourage others around me as well to do the same with their teams, which is I take one minute, two minutes um, of that 30 minutes, and let's spend it. Actually, just checking in on everyone. It's really important. I think what we find is then that next twenty-eight or so minutes will actually be extremely productive, because you've now let kind of honored the room in a sense, and and allow people to really just express you know where they are in that moment. And right now, it's super important to do that as often as we can.
0: Even if you've got a ten-minute meeting or a fifteen-minute meeting, spending a little bit of it just creating that space at the start. And uh, we've been doing similar things. You know, we've been. You can change your name if you are like having a Zoom meeting. You can change your name and like rather than just saying your name, you can change it, to, you know, with a one-word check-in which might be anxious or confused or in the zone or, you know, distracted. Just something to sort of check in on like where you're at. But with, um, with one-on-ones or more intimate conversations, one thing that I found really powerful is um, once you've got that question to kind of check in with someone is don't be afraid to ask it twice. Sometimes you have to hear a question twice to give yourself permission to answer it once there's one question that I've asked a lot on this podcast, which is, I can read out your bio, which is fascinating, but I always love to hear, you know, how do you respond if a 10-year-old walks up to you and says, Dr. Omar, what do you do for a living?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great question, actually. 10-year-olds are actually some of the most intuitive, you know, individuals on the planet. I I would probably say uh, I help people all around the world smile more and live happier, healthier lives. Uh, and, And I do that by helping them sleep better, by helping them frankly, just better understand themselves and, and the people around them. And, and that that to me kind of distills really what I do uh, in my every day.
0: I'm glad you picked up on the age that I picked because I um, am the eldest of four boys and um, <laughs> my youngest brother, who's um, quite a bit younger than me, it was around that age. And I'm like, man, you are so inquisitive at this age. And the questions you ask and like, what like you like, why do you do that? And I'm like, you make people smile more. What are you, a clown? I'm like, no, I'm actually a doctor, you know. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I think a lot of us, as we look at how we're reacting right now, is, you know, we're having very normal reactions to abnormal situations. And um, in researching and prepping, you know, for our conversation, I found that there were some really fascinating studies done on uh, astronauts and Antarctica explore- explorers. And we looked at like the stages of isolation that they ended up facing. So the three were confusion the honeymoon phase, and the third quarter phenomenon. And in the confusion stage, you know, what we were maybe seeing from a society was things like panic buying or wondering should you be commuting on the bus right now or should you already be at home. In the honeymoon phase, you know, we started to shelter in place. We are joining all these Zoom happy hours and maybe we're not changing from our pyjamas until 3 p.m. But then in the third quarter phenomenon, what we found is people start to hit a low point and this is all just becoming normal now and we don't know when it's going to change. And to me, you know, I've certainly found myself now in that of like, this is just normal now. So like, what does that even mean to be operating in this new way? So from your perspective, you know, if you are feeling like you're in this third quarter phenomenon phase, what should we be super conscious of when it comes to how that impacts our mental health?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting, complicated question with a lot of depth Uh, I I personally think these models, you know, they're thinking of the stages of isolation, behavior change, and trends of anxiety and stress around those stages. I think they're right on. Uh, I think that, you know, to answer your question, I, I think of how we've trended through the first couple stages. You know, stress and anxiety has spiked for all of us initially when this first happened. I mean, really spiked, higher than some of us have ever experienced. And then many of us got comfortable. We got comfortable in, in the new normal, right? As we call it, the everyday. And we settled down. Uh, and I, I think the unknown hasn't changed so much because what's that what what's been unknown has changed. But there's always been unknown through every one of these phases. I, I wouldn't say that all of a sudden we're experiencing new unknown. It's just a little bit different. Um, for me, what I think is super important is that we focus on... What is known, uh, and start to focus and continue to focus on what we can control. Uh, and for example, routines are extremely important in this time, right? So when you think about somebody who can't see the sunrise and set, let's take an extreme example. That person will have to create an artificial sunrise and set for themselves, right? They have to set a schedule, they have to set certain routines. And for us, that's really important, especially if we're working. You actually have to have beginnings and ends of your day. You have to have meals at certain times. You have to have certain time for yourself that you're allocating. So I think that that's really important. From a mental health perspective, we have to also be very, very conscious of spinning down on only the negative when there is a ton of positive. And this is where optimism and really being honest with ourselves and and thinking of gratitude for the things that are going right right now. You know, um, many of us are healthy. Many of us are able to spend more time with our families, with our pets, right? There are there, there are times to focus on hobbies now that we didn't have before. There are times to eat healthy. So when you start focusing on those types of positive aspects of our lives that, that we have now and some new ones as well, suddenly our mental health is bolstered through the period.
0: When you think about those stages or any of the other models that are kind of out there in terms of how we're experiencing grief or change, do you see it as a kind of a a journey that we get better and better at over time and then we're in a stage or is it more of a nonlinear thing where on any given day, we're actually going to be completely maybe back at stage two or stage five?
1: Yeah, very intuitive question. I think you can move between stages uh, and you do move between stages as time goes on based on different cues, based on who you are all of us respond quite differently based on changes in r- your routine you may take uh, and based on what ha- what's happening out there in society. The, the most important, most challenging stage, I think, is the stage to come, which is when we re-enter. That is going to be really quite interesting. And I think there are going to be a lot of people moving in and out of, you know, stages where they want to actually remain isolated versus trying to re-enter society. And the levels of stress and anxiety and the new unknown in that period, I think, is going to be even more interesting. So to me, I don't I don't think it's a linear model at all.
0: I'm a big fan of containers and stories and metaphors because I really think it helps, you know, be able to convey a message. And one of the ones that I've seen a lot of people talking about is this idea of putting your own oxygen mask on first, which you know, I think it sounds good in theory. We can all empathize with it. We've got the visual of being on a plane, which, you know, for a lot of us, that hasn't been the case for a while, but we can at least remember what planes were like. And I know from experts on subjects like, you know, compassion fatigue, if we are suffering from mental health issues, or if we're, you know, experiencing deep burnout and fatigue, that we aren't actually capable of putting on our own mask first. And we do need support systems around us to be able to help us really do that. So I'm super conscious that there's going to be members of our teams or members of our community who typically don't reach out for help and we need to make them feel more comfortable to reach out for help during this time. Do you have any tips or, or ideas around how we can help people actually, you know, do we need to go to them and actually, you know, prompt it more or is there ways that we can create a safer space for people to start reaching out more?
1: It's a great question. Um, I, I think it, I think it does start with a big proactive component. I mean, I know for example, you know, just by having friends check in on me with a simple text message, uh, or you know, sending a Slack message to a coworker, just to say, "Hey, uh, how's your day going today?" Right? Th- these little simple things that we, by the way, did all the time when we saw people face to face. We forget that we need those as humans, and just by simply doing those little things and doing that proactive uh, outreach. We not only help elevate that other person's day, we make them feel cared for, we make them feel human, but it actually has a reciprocal effect on us. We feel cared for, we feel human. And we forget that that stimulus isn't just about someone who needs to reach out, it's about us too. Uh, And also it's quite infectious. You know, it's interesting when you see people on video and you see a smile, you don't have to be in the same room for someone to feel the power of that smile and, and the change it has over you. Even if it's two or three minutes that you're just checking in with a team member. So for example, with, with, with our teams, like I, I've increased the number of, of check-ins, very rapid check-ins that we have, and, and it's super impactful. Um, on calls, it's important to acknowledge those that are quiet, right? Involve them in the discussion um, because you're, you're right, there, there are going to be a lot of people that are not going to proactively reach out themselves.
0: I think to your point, creating multiple ways for people to do that. And, you know, if you are in a video only meeting, you know, I was on one this morning, actually, where I was, you know, presenting to a group of people and asking for their, you know, some feedback and stories from things. And then I said, you know, if for whatever reason you haven't felt comfortable during this meeting to reach out or share a story, please know that I'm available in written format or you can send me a message or if you need more time to think about this, please reach out. And I think to me, that's where I've seen a lot of really intentional thinking is, you know, the communication side of how we're working right now and making sure that there are multiple ways and that we're conscious of who's in a room when you know when we're meeting and when a decision is being made who's not who's more vocal who's not making sure that we're not you know speaking over people from um, you know different backgrounds and groups who typically aren't putting themselves out there or there might be a lower level employee and I think especially with mental health as well being conscious of that and making sure that it's not just a you know a broad kind of approach to this and that we are finding multiple ways to reach out and connect because it is so critical, especially during this time.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: For the people who've seen their, their work coming into their home, you know, some days are going to feel more like we are working from home and then the home will need to take priority based on family members, if we're a caregiver, you know, pets, what, whatever's happening, your plant, whatever needs care, right? And the other days, it's going to feel more like we are living at work. And we end up working more hours than ever before. I've certainly seen some initial studies come out saying that, you know, the average workday has gone up two or three hours, even though we've minimized commute time. So how should we be thinking about our mental health when the sense of balance and normalcy between those two worlds has completely blurred more than ever?
1: Yeah, agree. I mean, without any boundaries, our days and nights are going to completely blur. And to me, you know, the two words that are synonymous here are discipline and boundaries. Uh, It is extremely important for all of us uh, and us to help those around us set boundaries and to have discipline around that. Um, That comes down to me, physical boundaries, like where are you working? So I, for example, you know, where in a pre COVID world, I might do emails in bed once in a while, you know, at night uh, or, or things along those lines. I'm being very disciplined right now that I'm only using certain parts of my home space uh, to actually, engage in work activities. Um, also, I believe it's extremely important to actually set time boundaries. So the temporal element is extremely important. Uh, it's easy to just work through every meal and just work until late night and then into the morning. And then Saturdays feel like Fridays and Sundays feel like Mondays. But we we'll have to actually set those boundaries and shut down. And, and it's important. And as leaders, if we don't do that, our team won't do that either. That is a super critical aspect that will help us actually establish a work versus home environment, which I just think mentally and physically, we, we just need that. Um, and look around you, look around at those who are actually good at it. Uh, I like to actually encourage team members to actually dialogue with those that have been working from home for years because they've become expert at it. how do they do it? What are the best tricks? right? What, what are the good practices we can all learn from? This is, this is a time to be humble. This is a time to open yourself up to learn from what's working for those around you and what's not working.
0: Is there a difference between the burnout that we might typically associate with burnout associated to work? And is there a change in what that burnout means knowing that like we're actually working from our homes right now? And there's just normal stress and anxiety and burnout that we face from just day to day life?
1: Yeah, great question. Burnout itself, I don't think the concept has has changed. I think the way that we're experiencing it is quite different. Uh, The burnout, you know, the ideology of it really comes from from stress and from an overload. And right now, we're going to reach that breaking point much faster. Everything is heightened. Everything is heightened. And so with that amplification, we can reach the point of burnout, the breaking point much faster. The other thing too is once we reach it, the stress and anxiety is continuing. And so it's prolonged burnout. And when you start experiencing burnout for short periods of time, it can be really deleterious to your health, to your mental health, your physical health, but ongoing burnout. uh, And when that stimulus is not uh, actually removed can be quite challenging on the body. We're not we're not wired to deal with ongoing stress. We're wired to deal with short bursts of it. And so in a pandemic like this, the, the, the third dimension to it is that those who we normally would lean on, off right now, many of them are actually experiencing exactly the same thing. And so it's more widespread burnout as well. And so you feel like there's no place to escape and no one to talk to. Uh, it can really, really be challenging. And this is where coping mechanisms, the, you know, thinking of resilience and mental fitness, and, and, and spending time building those practices, like I know that's part of why we've seen such a massive influx to calm, is that there, is, there are so many opportunities to almost quote-unquote escape from, from those feelings, but also to be able to, to reinforce and develop the skills that you need to be able to be resilient to the ongoing amount of stress and anxiety that we have around us.
0: One of the conversations that I found really fascinating is not only are we thinking about our own, like how we're working and how we're responding in our own mental health, but for a lot of us, we're actually, we're witnessing the mental health and the working styles of people that we typically didn't always see. So if you're sheltering in place with a with a partner, <laughs> I've heard people joke, oh, I, I didn't know um, that my partner was a you know, let's circle back kind of person. And like we're hearing them in their workplaces saying these things that we didn't, but we're also seeing, you know, like how they cope with stress at work as well as how they're just coping in general. And, you know, if you're in a major metropolitan city that has a high cost of living, maybe you're living with your roommates who have now also become your colleagues and you're like dealing with their own mental health and stress or if you're working with your family, you know, maybe they're seeing dad or mom, you know, really stressed at work for the first time and they're seeing a different side. I know it's important to reach out and actually like talk about these things, but in, in, in other ways, maybe our default reaction is to protect our family or protect our roommates or protect our partner from some of the things that we're feeling, you know, have you had to wrestle with that or, you know, do you have any advice for someone who after hearing that's sitting there going, maybe I have been shying away from that conversation?
1: Yeah. I, I think it's going to be different for everyone. I mean, uh, it goes back to vulnerability I, I think being able to actually engage in those conversations is healthy. It's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, hearing, hearing and seeing others do it by example helps normalize it quite a bit. I, I think right now, you know, I, I believe that like I always say, and I, I use this because it's an important part of what we're talking about. I, I, I say to a lot of people like reduce your media consumption, reduce how much stimulus you're getting from what's going on from those types of channels. But on the flip side, what you hear in the media and what you hear um, out there from the press, you hear a lot of people actually creating a new dialogue around this, right? And so I, I think that's healthy. Uh, and and the more we can actually communicate and sometimes over-communicate, especially in these times, the better. It, it's like having as many monitors on your pulse as possible right now and on the pulse of those around you. So I would err on the side of over-communicating. It's not natural. And it's it's hard. Uh, And, but especially when we're, some people are living on top of each other, you're in more continuous contact situations with, um, with family members and household members and spouses and children and mixing in work with that as well. So it really can be, you know, quite anxious and, and, and stressful, but if you're communicating with your partner through that, I I believe that that is uh, extremely ideal and, uh, and, and that is the pathway to me, I believe, to, you know, coming out of the dark here uh, through this in, in a very, very uh, sustained mental state.
0: It certainly helped me. I've, uh, I've joked to a, a, a few people now that I've got my colleagues who I work with at Coltrane, but then like my housemates have also become colleagues. You know, we're working in this new office together that we call Our Apartment, And you're like, hey, just letting you like, you know, just letting you know I'm going to be recording for the next hour, or just letting you know that, you know, I've got some deep work I need to do and my door's shut, and I'm going to be doing this. Like, just over communicating what we're doing because, you know, the last thing we need is any additional stress right now through, um, you know, assumptions or you know, poor agreements with the people that we're sort of working with. So, um, definitely a big fan of over communicating.
1: Yeah, and and if I can chime in that for a second, I think you know I. I live with my, my, my dog. So I have a Samoyed uh, puppy and he is everything you would expect in a puppy. He doesn't understand why I'm home. He thinks I quit my job to play with him. And so he will interrupt me on zoom calls and on video and come in. And on the same, right. I have uh, people's spouses that will walk into a room you see on video or, or children or, 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 you know, other pets, right In, in a world pre COVID. You know, you'd find a lot of people would get somewhat annoyed by that. Uh, And our natural reaction when that happens is we're embarrassed by it, right? When we're interrupted on a call like that. What is important as leaders is I I think we have to acknowledge that that, that's okay right now. And actually not reacting in a negative way to it, but actually allowing that kind of space for that to happen will actually help that person on the other end who's trying to balance all these different things actually feel like, hey, it's okay. I'm doing the best that I can and I'm going to feel more comfortable. I don't have to be stressed out about this.
0: There's nothing wrong with over communicating to your housemates, your family members, or your pets because (laughs) (laughs) they all need to understand where we're coming from. And yeah, I know a lot of people with pets are also worried about like when you have to return to work, they're like, they're not going to be able to cope anymore. They're very used to seeing me all the time. It's very true we spoke a little bit about some of the barriers for looking after our mental health um and you know some of it in the past might be stigma associated with seeing a therapist um, personal stigma around even just being someone needs to ask for help Um, i know a lot of the work that i worked on in the mental health space in australia was reducing the bravado around australian men being tough and strong and not needing to soften up and have these conversations And, you know, for others, it might have been more of a, I know it's important, but I don't have time to start a mindfulness practice, or I don't have time to meditate, or I don't have time to do breathing exercises, even though I know it's important. So, there's always been barriers, but we spoke as well about some good news. What is some good news that we can kind of, you know, center on right now? How do you think it's easier right now to actually take action on supporting your mental health during this time?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's more of a dialogue around it. Mental health is extremely... Stigmatized. And one of the, you know, it's it's faced with both invisible and visible barriers. And the biggest invisible barrier is that, the, you know, stigma for all the reasons you've just listed. One of the best ways to combat that stigma is to actually see others talking about it, to actually see that it's okay to talk about it, to see that it's okay to do something about it and to normalize it. And I mean, talk about being normalized. Everybody's talking about being feeling stressed and anxious. And, you know, you you see a wider group of people exhibiting vulnerability than I think I've ever seen before on a massive scale, people who, you know, you would never expect it. And so that, that, to me, is a great foundation and basis for just making it easier to actually do something about your mental health and take an action.
0: Typically, grief has been a term that's been associated with end-of-life discussions, but I've seen it come up a lot more over the past few weeks as we grieve the loss of the life as we knew it, Uh, you know, whether it was the loss of travel, the loss of experiences, you know, if you're a foodie or, you know, just getting out and being, you know, we've lost so many different things and we don't know when they're going to come back. And we all experience grief differently. Um, You know, some, some of our colleagues might appear to be handling this situation better than others. And what we're all trying to, I guess, really grapple with is, you know, what is on the other side of this? And, you know, on the other side of this is also this concept of anticipatory grief. And it's the feeling that we get when, you know, we don't know what the future holds and that we've got this deep level of uncertainty. So when it comes to managing uncertainty and dealing with anticipatory grief, do you have any any tips or stories you'd like, like to share with people listening?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's for me it boils down to something very simple which is uh, when you have a situation like this with so much uncertainty, uh, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by it and to, you know, suddenly spiral. Uh, and, you know, uncertainty is one of the key ingredients to a stressful situation. But what's important is for us to take a little bit of a step back and focus on what is certain. What can we manage in the situation? You don't have to manage the entire situation. Well, what can you manage? So, you know, I can manage that I have breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Um, And I can manage that uh, I'm able to, uh, you know, eat healthy and able to, you know, get into a little bit of an exercise routine and, you know, do certain things. Um, That's important. I think that when we start doing that, we're going to start to be able to manage more and more. And with that comes less and less uncertainty.
0: I love that. Yeah. It's so easy to think about everything that we don't know right now, but there are things that we know, there are things that we have control over and, um, you know, tying it to just physical gestures or behaviors that you can, you can do every day. And, you know, for me, um, you know, just working from my desk in, in in my apartment here, you know, I've got a a throw blanket, which I typically put over a TV, and then at the end of the day, I try to throw it over my laptop and my podcast gear, and just give myself that gesture that I have control over over my time and, and, and my work. And even though the expect the expectations around how we're working is changing, and we're dealing with that, and we have and we're having to work through it, there are things that I can control, and it can be as simple as that. Um, but those little things help me to center myself in, in 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 this current moment, which I think is you know so important. I love that. And then what advice do you typically give to others that you've actually found yourself saying a lot more to yourself during this time in order to try to work through it?
1: So I have this quote that I've been saying since I was 15 when I went through stage four cancer. Uh, it's actually tattooed on my right forearm in Japanese kanji, which is never miss an opportunity. And to me, those are great words during this period. It's really all about never missing an opportunity right now to enjoy the time that, that we have That we didn't have before. We have time to read that book. We have time to share a quiet time with our family, our friends, our significant other. We have time to focus on those hobbies we stopped doing when we were so busy and we're never home. We have time to practice healthy eating. We have time to exercise. And to me, we have time to just be thankful for everything that we haven't necessarily been putting in focus.
0: A big thank you to Dr. Omar DeWood for joining me. You can learn more about him as well as download some of the great resources from Calm at culturefirst.com slash it So I really hope that the first two episodes from part one have helped you start with today as we collectively look to restore our health and well-being after experiencing a disruptive event. That final answer that Omar shared with me, it has really stuck. He said, never miss an opportunity. So by starting with today, I'd like to leave you with a challenge and you can share it with me if you're using the hashtag working through it on social media. And the challenge that I have for you is what opportunity are you not going to miss when it comes to your mental health and the mental health of your team? There were some great examples shared in this episode, like starting with the human check-in, as well as using some of the resources that we've curated. So I'd love for you to share with me how you're working through it. Stay tuned for part two of the Working Through It series, which is going to be called The Only Way Forward Is Through. Together, we're going to be exploring how to encourage acceptance with stabilising leadership. So as we wrap up, if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an honest review. Firstly, it actually really does help more people find these stories. And I really believe that the world needs these stories right now. And then funnily enough, the team at CultureAmp loves the feedback. So please share it with us. Uh, It really means the world to us, as well as the fact that more people get to listen. So we'll see you back for part two of the Working Through It series. And until then, I hope you're having a great day wherever you're listening.